yesterday that maybe you order them on Saturday and pick them up and maybe they'll still be fresh by Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying what was told to me as a suggestion by an, a fellow donut lover who <laughs> was sitting to my right because we are donut lovers. You know, we're lovers of Jesus first. It's going to be an amazing Easter service. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, I want to, can we just take a moment and pray uh, for Evelyn McCain? Uh, those, who, those who don't know Evelyn, wonderful, wonderful woman of God. Uh, she usually comes and sits either back there or back there uh, when she does come. But she was diagnosed with cancer, pretty aggressive cancer of the esophagus has spread to her liver and her kidneys. Uh, and she is... She needs peace. Uh, she needs peace in her body uh, and for their family. And so I want to pray over them, Evelyn and her son Rich and their family, just for a minute. If we could just bow our heads and just pray for them today. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord. Father, you are the author of peace. You're the author of the ultimate healing, Father God. And so we just live, lift Evelyn up to you now, Lord. Father, you... We got to spend some time with her on Friday, and Lord, you know her heart. Her heart is for you. She is excited, looking forward to seeing you, Lord, and so we just pray for a peace upon her, upon that family, Lord, peace for her son, Rich, as he's coordinating all these things that are going on, Lord, and Father God, we just thank you that you are always working through every situation that we face in our life, and so we lift them up to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We had, the, we had the pleasure, uh, Pastor Andy and I got the pleasure to spend some time with her on Friday and just hold her hand and pray for her and anoint her and kiss her and her grip was strong and she loves Jesus, uh, she knows her destination, she knows her home uh, and where she's going and she is just, she was, she's got questions of course as anybody would in that situation but she just, I felt a peace as we were there and a peace as we left and so just continue to pray for her. Uh, offering this morning, uh, Deuteronomy 28. I don't know if you guys notice this or not, but I try to pull, uh, not always the call to worship, but I try to pull offering scriptures out of stuff that we're reading through. If you're not reading with us the Bible in a year, there's some on the back table there and in the lobby. Uh, there's a way to read just the Old Testament with us or the New or do both. And it's really focused on Psalms and Proverbs over the weekends. Uh, but Deuteronomy 28 and I mentioned this earlier, is that whole chapter is about the blessings and then the curses. But, you know, the blessings is what we like to focus on because of who Jesus is. And we follow him with our whole hearts. And so these blessings are available to us. It says this starting in verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. All the work. The work of your parenting hand, your working hand, your plumbing hand, all the hands, all the work, all you do, he is there to bless it. And it says, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Hallelujah. You shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. It's our heart for this church as well. We want to see that mortgage paid off. Hallelujah. And we want to be a lender, not a borrower. Verse 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. I love that. Above only. Like we don't spend time beneath because of him and who he is. We spend time above. 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 It says, if you heed the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to 
observe them. So let's pray over our offering this morning. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Father, for every gift, every giver. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you do open up your good treasure, Father God, from the heavens, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you make it rain, Lord. Father, that that our barns would be full and they would be overflowing, Father God. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you allow us and help us to not be the tail but the head and to be above and not beneath. And so, Father, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. This is going to be the last part of this part of the series on the spiritual disciplines of engagement. I think I told you before that we're doing spiritual disciplines of engagement. I'm going to take a break the next couple weeks for Good Friday, I mean for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and we will eventually get to it, I'm not promising when, but the spiritual disciplines of abstinence, which is different, obviously, than the engagement. So the spiritual disciplines we've been talking about since the beginning of the year are those things that we do, and then at some point here in the near future, we're going to be talking about the things that God is calling us not to do, and that's the tough one. We all like to do stuff. We like, I mean, we're doers, right? We like to, oh, let's do, 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 do. But God also calls us a lot of times to abstain from things, to slow down. Anybody ever hear the word Sabbath? Yeah. Do you know that in the Old Testament, praise God, we're in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, they actually took out, like, took out those who didn't practice the Sabbath. And we, and I think sometimes we forget, like, God gives us commands for our own good. He gives us things for our own good, and and now we live in the New Testament, and he is not a legalist, and he is not all about religion, he's about a relationship, and we thank him for that, but there are things in our life that we need to understand and be able to go do. So I'm looking forward to entering into some of those things and talking about those. So this will be the last week on these spiritual disciplines of engagement, and I'm going to read through Acts chapter 2, we've been reading through this. This is the New Testament church. It's the first church that was started after the resurrection, and they're there, and and the Bible begins to explain and talk to us about what did it look like. Because however it looked like, I want to be a church that models after what it looked like. And you say, well, come on, Pastor Jason, that was thousands of years ago. Yeah, but here we are thousands of years later, all of it still rings true. Now, one of these things are we to stop doing. And here's the interesting thing about the Bible. And I I, I read a, we actually watched a video. And there's a very interesting thing, the difference between commands and traditions. Do you know what we're doing here is a tradition. A monologue sermon, three worship songs, a break for communion, a few announcements. Like if we would radically mix that up, people would be like, what is going on? But nowhere in the Bible does it give a cue sheet in an order of service and say, ye shall be commanded to run your church services in this way with a monologue sermon and doing all... It doesn't say that. And so how we do church has become a tradition. Not that traditions are bad, not there are things that we don't ascribe to, like we want to do these things, but there are certain commands in the Bible. And one of the commands that God has called us to is to go make disciples. To go make disciples. That wasn't an optional thing. That wasn't a thing for the... It doesn't say, hey, five-fold ministry. If you're a pastor, evangelist, teacher, 
you know, apostle or prophet, all these things, you go and make disciples, and everybody else just come on a Sunday morning and attend church, sneak in, sneak out, and don't be involved in anybody else's life. I can't find that here. It says, go and make disciples. All of you who are disciples are to go and make disciples. That, my friends, is a command. There's no tradition about that. That's not like an optional one. Eh, you know, I'd like to do that. Maybe I won't do it. I'm not sure. That's a command. Making disciples is a command. And a lot of these spiritual disciplines that we've been looking at, he's, God is telling us, these are what I want you to go do. It doesn't tell you specifically how to do them, and those things change over the course of time, right? They didn't have electric guitar when they were singing in the early church. But the Bible commands us to sing and to worship. It doesn't say we have to do it with an electric guitar, right? So there's a difference between these. So we can always go back to the word of God and always look at this. And so here's what it said about the early church. It says, and they, starting in verse 42, Acts chapter 2, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, which was koinonia, which we had talked about, in the breaking of bread, fellowshipping together in homes and eating together. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today in a kind of a roundabout way, and in prayer, commands, we need to pray. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continually, verse 46, daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread house to house, Notice that. The church gathered as an early church in multiple locations. It gathered in the temple and it gathered in the home. It gathered as a large group and it gathered as a small group. And over the course of time and over history in the Western church, we have somehow felt like church is just a large group gathering that happens on a specific day, usually on a Sunday morning, somewhere between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And we have decided, like, this is, what, this is what the early church must have been doing. But it says that they both met collectively, but they also met in homes. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And here's what I, here's, I don't know, I mean, as I looked at this and I prayed about it, if you look at when the adding of the church daily came, it came not only were they meeting here, but they were meeting home to home. There was relationship. There was discipleship happening. That is what was happening. And then the Lord added to the church. The, the church started with a 3,000 person ad. Boom. Right? That happened. Boom. Just like that. The Bible says it. Right? there, They were preaching and 3,000 were added to them on day one. Boom. And then it was like the Lord shows us in the Bible that then they began to meet and disciple one another and, and meet with each other and talk with one another and be involved in each other's lives. And then the Lord added daily, which meant every day someone was being added. Every day you have interaction with somebody. Every day you have an opportunity to, to talk with someone, to share your testimony, to, to help disciple someone, to your children who are right in front of you. Every day we have that opportunity. As we've said before, we are the church, not this building. So 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, well, maybe you'll come on Wednesday night, but then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, unless you came for nursery training, you're not here at this building every day of the week, but where are you? Wherever you are, you are the church. And so you're meeting one-on-one, you're meeting in fellowship, you're meeting as a dad and as a mom, and you're talking with your kids, and you're, and you're just discipling all day. This is what the Lord has commanded us to go do, this rhythm of life. So the spiritual disciplines chart, we're going to throw that up there real quick. So these are all the ones that you see in those scriptures that we just read. There's giving, there's studying God's word, there's worship, there's church attendance, there's home fellowship, serving, breaking bread together, and praying. And so I'm going to kind of combine this breaking bread together and home fellowship, and I'm going to call it gathering. Because there's two types of gathering. There was a gathering in the temple, and then there's gathering here uh, in the homes. So last week we talked about discipleship. We kind of gave the model of what discipleship looked like. And we talked about it in Matthew 28, and I kind of alluded to this scripture already, starting in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Before he even commands us, not a tradition, but a command to go make disciples, he's making it very clear that all authority has been given to him. So our relationship with him is critical to be able to go and make disciples. Our relationship with him is critical. It's the first step. If you don't know Jesus, you're not a disciple. It's step one of the discipleship process, is knowing Jesus in your heart. Then he says in verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He was commanding his disciples to go, which means each and every one of you sitting here, everyone that hears my voice is commanded to go and to make disciples. Every one of you. So, Pastor Jason, I don't know if I'm making a disciple. Well, you probably are. Be encouraged, you're doing a lot of discipleship making that maybe you haven't traditionally thought of as disciple. As you're parenting your children, you are discipling them. Now, you may not be discipling them exactly the way God has intended to, and we all have challenges and we make mistakes and stuff like that, but you're discipling them. With your friends, as you have friendships with others, you're discipling, and they're discipling you, and it's a back-and-forth relationship. So I think a lot of times we think of like, oh, I need to go to the grocery store, Holy Spirit, show me which person I've never met before in my life that I need to disciple. I'm sensing aisle four. You know, run. Now, look, God may do this for you. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. And those who are evangelists, God bless them. I do believe that God says, go to aisle four in Wegmans and go witness to that person. And they do it and they become saved. Hallelujah. But I'm talking about discipleship here. And discipleship is relationship. If you look how Jesus discipled his disciples, it was through relationship. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He didn't just get up and preach to them every Tuesday night and give them a sermon. That's not how he discipled. Those large gatherings were set apart for healing, for big teaching to the whole congregation. But it was a different environment. It was a different type of thing that was happening. But the true discipleship was happening person to person. So teaching them, observing all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Starts with Jesus. He commands us to do this. And thank goodness Jesus reminds us, hey, I'm with you. I'm here for you. Don't panic. Don't worry. I know Pastor Jason said, go make disciples. What am I supposed to go do next? 
the Lord will lead you. The Lord will guide you in it. And I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what is the thing we go do next. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. I'm going to start in verse 19. And I want you guys to understand something. I'm going to talk a little bit about the church vision here in a minute. But I want you to understand that we, as a leadership team, do not see success as a large building, as a great staff, as an amazing kids ministry, or whatever it is that God calls us to do in kind of what you can see. But success for us as a leadership team is making disciples and seeing disciples be made and seeing a disciple then begin to disciple someone else, begin to disciple someone else. Because if you understand anything about multiplication, do you know how fast it begins to multiply? And if it was just up to just the leadership team and we were the ones responsible to disciple all of you, you know how well we would do that? Really badly. Really badly. Because everyone's got stuff. You can't go and disciple 100 people. Look at Jesus. Fully man, fully God. How many disciples did he really have? He had the 70, then he had a 12, and then he had three. This dude wasn't married and had no kids, and he was only working on three and 12 people. So don't get overwhelmed like you got to go reach all of Erie County all by yourself. This is all about who has God placed in your life who is right in front of you that God is leading to you have a relationship with. So why do we gather? Starting in Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let's just stop right there. Come on, church. Why do we gather? Because of Jesus. We gather because of what he did for us. We gather because, I mean, think about the persecuted church all around the world. They risk their lives to go to church. Are you, real, are you guys willing to risk your life to go to church? Don't answer that. Think about that for a little bit. It's snowing. Psh, I ain't going to go to church. Some, I don't want to go to church sometimes when it's snowing. But I got to be here. Right? And so it's, it's just really like a heart reflection. Like, Lord, there are pl- they are so committed to the gathering of the church, they're willing to risk their life to sneak in the back door of a basement and to, under darkness, with no lights on, taking one piece of the Bible, one page each, and they just read the Bible to each other and fellowship with one another and encourage one another. And guess what? The Lord is adding to them daily. But my concern with the Western church, not just us, but I'm saying the Western church is we... We have this picture that church is just, ah, just a Sunday morning. Come and go as I want. Maybe I make it, maybe I don't. There are people who are risking their life to go to church because they believe in it so much. And I want us as a church to believe in it so much because it's so important because God commands us to do it, both in the temple and house to house. And church, do we actually think, look out, Lord, it's not in the notes. Do we actually think that 15 and 20 years from now, we will be able to do this as freely as we do it today? Based on what I read and when the Lord is coming back and during the Lord's return, the church will be persecuted. 
The church is currently being persecuted all across the world. And do we think it's not going to eventually come here? Well, United States, we were founded on godly principles, and so persecution of the church will never come to us. Wrong. And so the Bible commands us to not only just meet collectively as a group, but to have friendships and relationships and meet in homes and disciple one another so that when they come and they try to put a lock on this door and they shut down the internet and you can't hear me talking or Pastor Liz talking anymore, you know exactly what to do. They can't stop me from gathering with my church because I know exactly where we meet. We meet on this on 32nd Street at Friday night at 10 p.m. or at 8 p.m. whenever you, you meet with your fellowship. You understand, guys, we, if we think that that's coming and we believe that, that it is as a leadership team at some point in the future, to do nothing different today, you would be like, You're, that's the worst leadership I've ever seen in my life. If you understood what was going to come, and you had a leader who was here and says, well, I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to keep walking as we always have. I'm going to keep doing as we always did. And whatever we used to do, I'm just going to do it exactly that way again. You'd be like, well, we don't obviously need you because we're already doing those things. So you're not leading us anywhere. We're just staying, we're standing still. And I believe God has called us as leaders to reveal to this church in this area, one church, one city, that God is calling us to be in a community, calling us to be in a church family, calling us to meet in homes, calling us to meet and disciple one another and to engage with one another in each other's lives. This is what God is calling us to. This is what the early church did. Verse 20. Whew, that was a total side note there. And by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Man. When he died on that cross, that veil was boom. Earthquake time, baby. Boom. Broken. Verse 21. And having the high priest over the house of God, we gather to worship Jesus. We gather to worship. The question was, why do we gather? We gather, number one, we gather to worship Jesus. You can do that in a corporate setting. You can do that in a small setting. The Bible says when two or more are gathered there together, he is there in our midst. Which means you can have a church service with two people. You say, but I don't, I don't know how to give a message. Who said you had to give a message? Open up, the, here's the message, guys. Here's the message. It's right in front of you. They can't take this from you. We hide the word in our hearts, even if they try to take this or destroy the phones and don't have access to it. God has still placed it in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of the things that we've already read, the things we need to know when we need to know them. So you all can have a church service, the two of you, on the street corner, wherever you might be, and you run into someone, you can have a church. You can encourage one another. You can pray for one another. That's church happening. If you are the church, when two of you get together, God's with you, you're having a church service. We have to get rid of this thought as it's only the Sunday morning or Saturday. I want us to get rid of that. That's not what church is all about. We gather to worship Jesus. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled 
from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We gather to draw near to Jesus. We gather to draw near to Jesus. When, we, when, when God shows up in this place, how many of you ever noticed when you came in here with an ache or pain in your body and church service starts to happen, how many of you don't even know that there's an ache or pain in your body? Come on, church. This morning, me, my shoulder's been hurting from going to this eye rock. I do this ridiculous workout that absolutely messes up my whole body. I'm sore for days. I can barely even, like, people see me at the Rose Center, like, walking up the steps to my office. I'm like, oh, like, why does it happen? But honestly, I woke up that way when I showed up at church and we began to worship God. We began to draw near to Jesus. I have not have a pain in my body. That doesn't mean it's not going to maybe be there when I leave because there's a natural thing like, Jason, you just beat yourself up. Of course, you're going to be sore. But honestly, in his presence, in his presence, I actually don't feel any pain. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to go to heaven. Imagine, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, complete peace. Yes, Lord. But until then, we, we, we work on this together. We disciple one another. So we gather to draw near to Jesus. Verse 23. Hold on. Back up to verse 22. How do we draw near to him? That scripture shows us. We draw near to him with honesty and with faith. You can't just show up to a worship service, a church gathering, say, mm, I'm going to just draw near to Jesus now. God's asking for your heart. There's a participation factor on your end. Well, I don't like that song. Okay. I don't like the lighting. Okay. Those are preferences. But what is God speaking to you? What is he doing? He's asking you to be honest, to be true. Lord, I walked in with this. I've been making this, this idol of myself and all these perfection that I want to be. And it's been revealed to me. And he's looking for honesty in your heart. And then you move towards him in faith. And say, Jesus, I need you. I have faith in you because of who you are, who you said you would be, and that you will do what you said you were going to do. And so we gather to draw near to Jesus, but we have to do it with honesty, with this pure heart. And we have to do it in faith, knowing he is and will do what he said he will do. That's when growth happens in our life. That's why we gather together. And that can happen in a small environment. It can happen in a large environment. It doesn't matter. You can draw close to Jesus. Verse 23. Then let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Come on, church. We gather to build hope. We have faith. Like, to build faith, we read the word, we listen to the word. There's ways that the Bible tells us to build faith. But we can build our hope when we come together and we gather together. Because I can say, Pastor Andy, man, I know you're going through this difficult time, but let me just encourage you with this. And you actually, in these relationships, you begin to build hope with one another. And we say, look, we put our hope in Jesus, amen. And we actually help people to turn their eyes off their situation and put it back on God. All of that happens in relationships. All that happens when people gather together. It's what the church is supposed to be. 
We need hope. You can't find it in the world. I've got like 250 channels. My gosh. I don't have any idea what's on 240 of them. I know the 10 sports channels. And even those don't give me any hope. They don't give me any hope. Because my hope can only come from him. And who he is, and what he says he will do, and what he will do. Amen? So we gather to build each other up, to build up our hopes, to share our testimonies, to see what God is doing in our lives. Verse 24. And then let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Woo. We gather to love one another. We gather not so we can figure out what's in it for us. We gather to come and say, Lord, how will you want to use me today when I gather with somebody else? And when we position ourselves in this posture of, Lord, use me, he ends up ministering to you eventually anyway. It's amazing that when we gather, we come to love one another, to build each other up, to encourage one another. So we gather to do this loving one another. Remember the one another's we talked about a couple weeks back. In verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is all about gathering. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some, not us, of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. How many of you see the day approaching? You know what day he's talking about. <laughs> Not tomorrow. He's talking about the day. The day when Jesus returns. And they're encouraging us, now is the time to even gather more. Not less. More. Because we need each other so badly. We need to look. This is not easy for a lot of people. It's not easy for us. We're like, oh my gosh, how do I got to invite people over to my house? Ah! Right? It's like intimidating sometimes to think about it. But he, the Bible is telling us to gather more, to be together more as the day approaches. Which means tomorrow we should be gathering more than we did today. And a week from now, we should be gathering more together than we did last week. See what that's saying? It's like as the day approaches, we need to gather more. We need to disciple more. We need to talk more and be in more relationship with each other. We gather, the final we gather is to disciple one another. This is how discipleship happens. It's through relationship. It's through one another. It's through talking with someone. It's going out to coffee with them. It's through walking through a situation with them. It doesn't just happen by magic. It doesn't happen, really, doesn't really happen on a Sunday morning. Like I gave the analogy last week, you guys all called me a terrible father. When I would, if I, if I were to, you didn't actually call me that. I gave you the analogy. What I said was that what if, my discipleship plan for my children was to sit them down on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. and give them a really solid biblical message. Like, ooh, Pastor Jason, that's good. I'm going to do that at my house. But then I told you at 8.30, after that message was over, I left the house, and I wasn't a part of their life, and I didn't show up, 
And I came back the very next Tuesday night and says, hey, guys, so good to see you, my kids, again. I'm just, we're doing a great job discipling you. This is fantastic. It's Tuesday night again. Let's listen to the next Bible story I'd like to share with you. You'd be like, Pastor Jason, what are you talking about? Your children need you to you on Wednesday morning. They had a challenge on Thursday. They got in a fight on school on Friday. They were sad on Saturday. They didn't know what to do on Sunday. And then Monday, they were just, I, I couldn't obey their parents for the life of them. They were having struggles and troubles and trials. And you mean you missed all of that. You didn't walk them through any of that. But you just showed up on a Tuesday. You see, guys, discipleship parenting. These things take time, they take effort, they take this intentionality, but they take a relationship with one another. And we have to begin to do that more and more as we see the day approaching. I got a quick church vision slide we're going to throw up here. Ooh, that sounded bad. Throw it up. <laughs> we're going to look at the church vision slide and we're going to get excited about it. And our, and our breakfasts are going to stay down. Uh, so this is, this is the, we've talked about this a lot, this is our logo, you see the cross, and you can't read it, but it says Route 90 going across, Route 79 coming down. And we've talked about this so many times, is as a church, this is all biblical, we want to see the lost saved, we want to see the sick healed, we want to see lives transformed, we want to see families thriving. The only way any of that happens is through prayer, house of prayer, God calls us to be a house of prayer, through participation, cannot happen. Just with a few. It has to happen with everybody participating. And it happens with partnership. Just like we talk about partnering on this Good Friday service. We don't have to do all of it on our own. But here's what the Lord had revealed to us. Uh, this is probably two years ago. Is this, this, this word or this phrase of 100 by 20. 100 by 20. And the Lord clearly show, he showed me when I was driving, and you know, right where I was, says, the only way you will reach northwest Pennsylvania, the only way you will see growth in the church being added to daily if you begin to instill and put together 100 groups of people that are about 20 people each as you begin to reach northwest Pennsylvania. Because he said the word 100 by 20. I'm like, what is that? What are you even talking about? And what the Lord had revealed is that each one has to be reaching another one. Each one has to be reaching another one. That whole church vision that you saw, that happens as we gather as a church in the large group, but it actually happens as much, if not more so, when we are meeting together with other people. And we see the church of the future not being one that has a bigger and more expansive building, and taking on more debt and doing more of this or more of that. But we see a church of the future that are meeting in homes. And they're gathering together, families meeting together and discipling one another. And then collectively they come together and we worship Jesus as a large group. And then we go back and we begin to disciple one another again. In fact, I want to get across to you guys that your, your church gathering, I almost feel like it should be more heavily weighted in smaller settings versus the larger setting. I don't know what the right percentage is. It's probably different for every person. But I see us meeting more so outside of 5900 Starantania Road. And I believe that is the future of ECF. I believe that's the future of our church. It's how we're going to reach people. I I'm telling you, I, think it's, I don't think the time of reaching people is just on a Sunday morning. It's just not, it's just not if, it would be, if that was the way, we'd be full. 
We've got a great Sunday morning service. God's presence is here. You can't walk in here and say God's presence is here. But you say there's still only 100 people in here. What's going on? Because I believe we have to meet together and disciple one another and meet people and understand and get relationships with one another. And then the Lord added daily those who were being saved. So what's our next steps? What do we take from this? Number one, we need to be a disciple maker. We have to commit to being a disciple maker. And as I phrase this, I'm not sure you'll remember that, but you'll remember this phrase, find a Timothy. Paul and Timothy in the Bible, Paul was kind of the discipler. Timothy was the one being discipled. And so each and every one of us, if you don't have a Timothy in your life, ask the Lord to reveal who that is to you. Parents, I can help you with your answer. You can see me after church if you didn't pick that up. How can we find, Lord, where is show me? Not walk around Wegmans looking in aisle four for that person. But who has God placed in your life? Who is right in front of you? This scripture, Acts 16. I'm going to read this quickly, verse 1 through 5. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, talking about Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. Paul wanted him. He sought Timothy out. He said, Lord, there's this person who you put right in front of me. I want to take this guy alongside me for the journey. I want to walk with this person. I want to do life with this person. If you skip down to verse 5, verse 4 says they basically, they went through the cities, they delivered the decrees to, to, to the churches. Verse 5 says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Whoa. I thought that last scripture we talked about said it increased daily. It did. This is a different part of scripture. And again, it references disciple making, walking alongside each other, encouraging one another is how the church grows. It's like the secret sauce that like the, the Bible is showing us exactly how this works. You say, well, I can't, I, I don't know if I can do that. I have nothing special. Do you know Jesus? You got it. Period, end of story. You are special. You have a testimony. And you have the Holy Spirit if you've accepted Jesus. And so you will know what to say when you need to say it. So don't let fear stop you from going deeper into a relationship with someone else because you're concerned you may not be able to actually help them. You're not the one helping them anyway. <laughs> stop looking in the mirror. Get your eyes off yourself. I'm talking to myself now. Get your eyes off yourself. Come on. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. He's with you. He is for you. He will counsel you. He will guide you. He's the one who helps you disciple. Not a biblical degree. Not a theology degree. Not because you memorized 150 scriptures. Now I can go disciple. Uh-uh. Every one of you that knows Jesus can begin to disciple someone. Number two, you have to be discipled. 
you got to want to be discipled. Not just go find someone to disciple as the Lord leads you, but you actually have to want to be discipled. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know that God delivers wisdom in a lot of different ways? And a lot of times it's through relationship. It's through friendships. It's through bonds. It's through the word of God. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit using someone else to speak into your life. We are to gather even more so as the day is approaching. So we have to decide, say, Lord, I'm willing to be discipled. You know, in the business world, they have figured this out. They've got mentorship programs, and they come in as a new employee, and you got the new employee orientation, and they got all these things to help onboard somebody. But as a church, we haven't seemed to have figured it out. We're all like, I don't know if I can do that. But in the business world, they got mentors and mentees, and they do meetings, they do all these things, and people grow in their profession. Do we not want to see people grow in the Lord? Absolutely we do. So we can do this. It's not rocket science, the Holy Spirit. The only reason why it works in the business world is because they stole a principle from the Bible. Come on, right? It's the only reason it works. That's the only reason why anything works in the world is because it has a biblical foundation somehow, some way. Okay. Whew. All right. I got more to say, but we're gonna get to number we're gonna get to point number three here. So you have to be, you have to decide to go find a Timothy. You have to decide, I'm gonna find a Paul in my life. And number three, to disciple or to be discipled, any of this stuff is you gotta be honest and you gotta be real. Church, you gotta you Doug and I could spend four hours together. We could talk sports. We could talk all kinds of things. And we could leave there never discussing, hey, man, what are you really struggling with? What's going on in your marriage right now? You know what? Here's what I'm struggling with. Discipleship can happen with the same person. You can help disciple and they can help disciple you. It's not like, well, I have to categorize my relationships and I must have a certain number of Pauls in my life and a certain number of Timothys. You know, someone can be both a Paul and a Timothy in your life at the same time. And so, guys, we have this tendency to talk about the weather and talk about cars and talk about this and talk about that. And we talk about everything about what we're actually feeling in here. And women, some of you have the same problem. We're not being honest, we're not being real. We're running around in the outside. Hopefully nobody asks us a tough, difficult question. But when you're in a relationship with someone, you have to decide if you're going to disciple and you're going to be discipled, you have to decide, I'm going to be real, I'm going to be honest about this. We looked at this scripture a couple weeks ago. Worship team, you want to come up? Or Keys said, we said this in James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses one to another that you may be healed. And we talked about how there's a literal release of physical healing in our lives when we begin to be open, to begin to be real, to begin to be honest with one another. God wants you to be honest with him, but he also is asking us to be honest with each other. It says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
So this one to another, this confessing, this relationship, you, that, what it says is not do you just say, here's what's going on in my life, is you're open to receive feedback and to just talk about it and be encouraged about it, and then you pray together. And do you understand the prayer that happens is as powerful as stopping rain for years? You're like, wait a second, that can only happen in a church service. No! It doesn't just happen in a church service. It says it right there. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Look at verse 17. Why would all of a sudden we be talking about Elijah? Because it's an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, someone who knows Jesus, is praying together with somebody else in a relationship. Here's what happens. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just a dude, just a gal, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. To me, that says when you are gathering together and discipling one another and you're praying for one another, the power of that prayer, boom, stop and rain for three and a half years. Are you kidding me? Like, that's what I want to be happening in my life. Like, man, I need some prayer. Well, we can only go get prayer on Sunday morning at the, at the altar because they're the, you know, they're the professional prayer people. It doesn't say that. It says confess one to another and then pray for each other and then the power of God gets released and can stop rain for three and a half years. Like, that's a powerful prayer. How many of you tried that? Right? None of you tried it because it's like, what? Like, this is how amazing it is. So then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. We have to be real. We have to be honest. Sid, you want to come up here for keys? This is going to be difficult for all of us, but it's part of the discipleship process. It's part of being open, part of being real. It's part of how what we see, the future of the church and how it's going to grow. Because everywhere you see the Lord added daily, it was in context of relationship. It wasn't in context, the first 3,000 3, people got added. But when households were added, where was, where was Peter? He was at their house. When Jesus met with Zacchaeus, where he was on the road. It wasn't in the temple. It was out and about where the people are, where you are. For the majority of the hours of this week, you're not in this building. You're out there. You are the church. We are the church. We are called to make disciples. It's a command, not optional, not a suggestion, a command that he calls each and every one of us to go do. And I love it because it's not age dependent. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, God is calling us to make disciples. There's no such thing as retirement in God's kingdom. Can we get an amen to that? There's no such thing as retirement in his kingdom. Just bow your heads this morning. I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word reveals to us truth and knowledge we can build our faith as we read it 
as we study it. Father, I thank you for chronicling the early church that we could learn and we could see it and we could almost feel it and touch it by the words that are written and be inspired to duplicate it here 2,020 some years after it all started. Lord, give each person in this church the strength to see themselves as both one who disciples and one who needs to be discipled. Lord, that we would see this walk with you as a journey, as a marathon, not as a sprint, that we get to some destination and we're done. Lord, but that we are constantly walking with you. And we're living out this calling that every single person in this room has to go make disciples. So Lord, I also ask this morning that you would reveal to us in our lives those who you've placed there for a purpose, for a purpose to reach. Maybe they don't know Jesus at all. Maybe they only know Jesus a little bit and they're struggling. And God has placed you in their life to disciple them. And Lord, I just also ask for each parent here this morning that you would just encourage them with the strength for day in and day out, from the morning to the night, in walking and going and sleeping and everywhere, Lord, that you would encourage them to disciple by your Holy Spirit the children that you have given them. And Lord, I just pray that we would, each of us, would be open and honest and real, saying that we cannot do this alone and we need someone to come alongside us and that you would reveal those people to us in our life. We thank you for it. Lord, show us our Paul, show us our Timothy. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close here. We're going to have some prayer teams come up as I read this benediction. I'd ask you just a couple questions. you need prayer in your life at all? I know I was joking about the prayer team up here, but they legit, they will pray for you, and things will happen in your life. So I encourage you to come up here and get prayer. If you need it in any way, shape, or form, I encourage you to come out Wednesday night and pray with us and get prayer if you need it on Wednesday night as we have our worship and prayer night. And I also encourage you to come up for prayer. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never made him the Lord of your life, you've never accepted him as your Savior, or maybe you have in the past, and you just have not been walking in that way, come up here and get prayer this morning. God is a restoring God. He is a, a redeeming God and a God of redemption. Amen? Amen. So let me read this as we close. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. You